Artlist.io Every single day I feel the pressure Double out the work, let's make it extra Working so my mother get a rest, yo Working like I never know I'm blessed, yo Every single day I feel the pressure Hey, 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 welcome back to That One Studio. It's your boy C-Rock on the What Are You Made Of show. We're back with another great guest for you and uh, just fired up, man. Fired up. What a great day it's been. We're setting records at That One Agency. You know, I put a lot of hard work into this startup and it's finally paying off. I'm seeing the results and momentum and, um, you know, it's some days you're in business and, and, you know, I love to be transparent and share this with everybody, but like some days in business, you're like, man, is this ever going to kick? Am I doing the right things? And then you just when you finally see the momentum and things click, you're like, man, I'm so glad I didn't give up. And uh, we're seeing that now and we're helping a lot of people making a lot of great connections. And for me, it's not just about the money. It's about the fulfillment. And uh, I can tell you now I'm waking up in the morning fulfilled, unlike when I was making millions in the mortgage industry. So um, I just thought I'd share that with all you listeners and uh, got a great guest for you today. Scott Myers is in the building. You know, Scott's man, he's working on something that I'm interested in. And I, I got to tell you, his affiliated companies focus on the acquisition, development, and syndication of self-storage facilities nationwide. He currently owns and operates over 4 million square feet and over 25,000 units nationwide. His education organization, selfstorageinvesting.com, provides courses, tools, live events, and mentoring to help others launch their own self-storage businesses to enjoy a lifestyle as he has coined, free from tenants, toils, <laughs> toilets, I'm sorry, and trash, and toils. That sounds like a Halloween uh, word, toils. His various companies fund and build four to six houses each year in Mexico by taking his staff, family, and clients on an all-expense-paid short-term mission trip. Man, dude, you're doing it, Scott. What's up, man? <laughs> Good to be here, Mike. Good to see you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, man, thanks for being here. Do you wake up fulfilled in the morning? Uh, no, that's why I get up every morning. I'm uh, I'm fired up. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm fulfilled because I get to live and do what I want to do. And we've finally been able to achieve that uh, in that place for the past five years by design. But, um, you know, each and every day, uh, hopefully by the end of the day, I feel fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. I assumed you were listening to what I was saying when I started the show. And have you experienced that before where you're putting this this effort in and focusing and feeling like you're not getting traction and then all of a sudden it clicks? Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes, Mike, I think maybe you, you and I, I think, are cut from the same mold. We don't always feel like it's clicking and like there's still so much more to do. But uh, yeah, when we begin to see traction and then all of a sudden when other folks begin to notice it and you see the numbers tick up and you start knocking down the KPIs, uh, that's that, yeah, that, that feels good. That's when you know you're, you're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, man. And then you're like, what else can I do? <laughs> yeah, you know what I what's mean? next? <laughs> yeah, what's next? So uh, that's called causing creating futures. So, Scott, mm -hmm. let me ask you the question. We start the show yeah. with the same way every time, and that's what are you made of? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm made of a whole lot of uh, scar tissue. How's that? Uh, through the years, uh, been in real estate as well as uh, private equity and uh, partnerships and everything in between. And, and I think now at the place where I am, uh, been in, in real estate for over 30 years, uh, I'm made up of all the experiences and the challenges uh, that I've, I've been through and what, what now uh, we're at the place where I can see a little further down the road. I think those of us that have been in, in business for a number of years, basically, if we've been through three economic cycles, you know, three recessions, um, I made up of all the collective experiences of all those challenges that we've had as a result of that. And so now um, I, I made those decisions. And so I, I, I am a more calm and a collected decision maker and a leader than I used to be. Yeah. Did you notice like when you're in business and your emotions get up in the missing mm -hmm. motions, like, the negative mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. that your intelligence dropped. Do you notice that in business? 
Yeah, isn't that interesting? And you know what? It it, it seems like I get attacked. I, I feel like the enemy is attacking me in the morning. When in, in the morning, when I'm still I'm in the gym and I'm hitting it hard and I'm not thinking about business yet, it seems like that's when the the negative thoughts come in and the the self doubt and some of those other. Uh, I don't know, some of the other feelings that uh, seem to come from nowhere that, that all, all of a sudden si- try to sidetrack my day. Uh, but then later, you know, when, once I get back into the groove of things and um, I'm done with the gym, I take my gratitude walk, I spend a little time with God, then all of a sudden things begin to click and I, and I get back into war mode and, and I realize that, ah, the enemy's ha- attacking me with all the lies in the morning for whatever reason. And I guess um, it's part of self-awareness after you've been around for a little while that uh, you recognize that when that happens and uh, where it comes from and what to do to, you know, kind of thwart that. I, I, I deal with the same exact thing, man. And I, you know what I think it might be, too, is that you're not around mm-hmm. your team at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're mm-hmm. by yourself, you don't have your, you know, and, and whether you believe in God and the devil and all this other thing, maybe he's trying to tackle mm-hmm. your team's not there and seeing what mm-hmm. you're made of. You know, like mm-hmm. I, 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 mm-hmm. I really feel the same way. And I, I hate that. Like, I don't like yeah. that at all. Like, mm-hmm. I like going to the gym and, and enjoying myself. But for some reason... Uh, while I'm in there, I feel that mm-hmm. same those questions. Now, mm-hmm. you, you you got twenty five thousand plus units, four mm-hmm. million square feet. Uh, at some point, you know that's generating some passive income for you, which is not something you necessarily mm-hmm. have to work for every single day for that mm-hmm. maintaining it, maybe. Yeah. But like, does it does has it made life easier? And those negative thoughts and 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 things like that go away a little bit. I don't think so, because if you still got goals and things that you want to achieve, then, you know, it's ongoing, uh, you know, and it never really stops. And it's not the it's, it's not the constant pursuit or, you know, for five million this or 30,000 that um, it, it's really just that, you know, the goals that, I, that we put upon ourselves and, you know, the things that we aspire to. That's that's kind of what keeps us going. You know, at the end of the day, Mike, as you said in our in our intro, we we build houses in Mexico. You know, we have a huge component of giving back. Generosity is at the heart in the DNA of our company, and so even if I don't feel, I don't have to. You know, there's there's I don't have to do things every day. I don't have to do things every week or every month anymore. But you know, we also set some goals out there as to how many houses we're going to build in a year's time, and that means a number of families that their life is going to change and we're going to end generational poverty, you know, one house at a time, one family at a time. And so if I don't feel like going for my own purposes or because I want to have um, whatever, a larger bank account or just more numbers to rack up, uh, what it means is that another family is going to get a house because you know, we give a percentage of our profits you know, into our, our 501c3 to build more houses. So even if I don't feel like it, I got that extra dose of uh, inspiration because I'm going to be able to change another family's life. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. Higher purpose. Mm-hmm. The money thoughts may go away, but now you need money to build houses. So it right. uh, just changes, mm-hmm. you know, a little direction there. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did this all start for you? Like, where did, where did you begin? Take me back. I mean, did you go to college mm-hmm. and, and like, where, where did it all start? Uh, and I don't know. I suppose it's kind of like a, the, the traditional path that we begin to take, uh, which is, yeah, we have to, um, uh, as soon as we graduate from high school, we have to have a college picked and have our major done. And uh, immediately the next fall starts. And instead of backpacking across Europe and f- trying to find ourselves, which we told our kids that they, they needed to do, but that was a traditional path for me. Went to the University of Michigan, got a marketing degree, um, did that in four years, and then decided that I was going to go and uh, work for a Fortune 500 company in marketing, doing what? I didn't even know what that was at the time. I just you know, knew that that was uh, the path and, and something that uh, was going to happen as a result of me getting this degree. So I got a, a job in sales, moved to Indianapolis, 
and um, began working in corporate sales, worked for uh, two Fortune 500 companies, and I realized pretty quickly that uh, I was not cut out to work for somebody else. Um, I guess part of my background and my upbringing, I, I, I was the youngest of four, and um, I came along very late in life compared to my other siblings. And so my parents just kind of let me go, you know, just kind of do your own thing. And I didn't necessarily raise myself, but, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of oversight. And so when it came to the working world, I didn't like it either. And so somebody standing over me telling me, you know, what I was going to do that day and what else I was going to do. And I was just like, gosh, I haven't really had a, a mom or a dad around tell me what to do forever. And I don't think I want you doing it either. And so uh, that's when we began going out and investing in real estate. And it was originally just kind of a hedge for retirement, just to be safe in case uh, you know things didn't work out on Wall Street uh, with my 401k. And sure enough, uh, they haven't. Uh, and, and they didn't at the time. That was in 1999 when the uh, dot-com crash took away uh, basically all my retirement. It was all, all wrapped up in, in the stocks of this Fortune 500 company that I worked for. And they got caught cooking the books and my retirement basically went away. So at that point, uh, I, I took a look at what we were doing in real estate, not only the income that we were making, the passive income, but also that you know I could see, touch, and feel my retirement because it was bricks and mortar. And I said, well, I'm not going to put my, uh, my faith and my trust into somebody else to prepare for my retirement or my income for that matter. And so that's when I quit and uh, my wife and I began investing in full-time in real estate. So doing houses and then apartments. And we had about 450 units of houses and apartments and I didn't like the tenant toilet business, but if you uh, if you don't like that side of real estate, then it doesn't leave much left. Uh, you know, parking lots and self storage, and so I began to look into self storage, and uh, I like what I saw. I like the numbers. I like the metrics. Uh, Realize that you know it's not a sexy business, but uh, what was sexy was the cash flow and the lack of tenants and toilets, trash, and all the hassles. So we started investing in self storage facilities and um, saw the light. Never turned back. We sold everything else off and. Uh, continue to grow our portfolio and then created an education business along the way to teach other people how to do it because there wasn't anybody teaching it when I was looking into it as well. And so I, I guess like every good entrepreneur, we saw an opportunity in the marketplace and created a company to teach people how to do it. And then that became somewhat self-serving and that um, that brought a lot of deals and then a lot of partnerships and joint yep. ventures into the business. And so the two fed each other. And then that's how we're able to grow to the place that we are right now and build this incredible community and, and tribe of people that are doing things the way we're doing it. Yeah, I love it, man. And when was it that you got into self-storage? What year? Yeah, 2005 is uh, when we bought our first self-storage okay. facility. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. has how does it relate to multifamily? Um, and how does it differ? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because obviously besides the toilets and lack of mm -hmm. all that, but, but yeah. as far as, you know, maybe you, per unit price and mm -hmm. ease of you know, all that stuff. You know, you know, per uh, in terms of the, the the business model and the way that we evaluate them, you know, net operating income and cap rates and commercial real estate, you know, basically the same when it comes to analyzing it. But it's just it is in the operation side of it uh, where it is different because we don't have all the issues of dealing with tenants and the turnover and uh, having to evict them uh, when somebody's late in self storage. We put a lock on their unit and then we sell their stuff off after 90 days. Um, you can't do that in apartments. And then when the unit becomes vacant, whether it's an auction or whether somebody just moves out on their own. You know, in apartments, we had to clean or replace the apartment, paint, you know, fix things, market it, and then move somebody in and, and you know, miss out on 30 or 40 days worth of not having rent. Uh, but in storage, we're always marketing it. And when somebody moves out, it's a metal box on a concrete slab. You know, manager takes a blower, they blow it out, and they move in the next person waiting in line. Uh, it's recession resistant because when things uh, start to head south, businesses downsize, people downsize, and they need storage. If things are good in the economy, we buy more stuff and we store more stuff. And so we're very, very recession resistant and inflation resistant. And we don't have the, the wild uh, swings up and down like we had in multifamily or in, even in single family and the offices that we had as well, the office building. So 
you know, for all those reasons, uh, yeah, we just went full bore 100% into self-storage. And the occupancy rate, what's a good occupancy rate to keep when you have a self-storage facility? Yeah, break-even is, um, you know, if you're doing it right, it's somewhere between 65 and 70%. And then if you're stabilized, that's about 85 to 90%. And so, uh, you know, that, that is the goal is to stay somewhere around north of 90% and uh, raise rates and build more buildings. So why in the heck would anybody do multifamily? It's <laughs> a very good question. <laughs> What's the benefit of multifamily a, versus well, self-storage? I, I think people begin that down a path and they think that, that that's it. And, um, you know, this is the path and, and they, they find their sweet spot. And once they have, you know, a group of people following them, whether it's private equity or their lenders, they just continue to do it. Um, we started down that path um, until we realized that, gosh, you know, I, I love running real estate if it weren't for the tenants and the toilets and everything else. But um, we decided not to. And, and I think, to be honest with you, Mike, um, part of it is um, a little bit of pride, I suppose, or ego. You know, when I when I first began looking at this, it was my wife who suggested it because she, she saw some of these other folks we were in these uh, clubs and uh, groups with that were investing in storage. And I kind of poo-pooed it. And I was like, honey, we are... <laughs> We are sophisticated investors. You know, we, we have drywall and plumbing and we have apartments and multifamily. Um, I don't want to invest in those, you know, those garages or those sheds, these metal boxes on concrete slabs uh, until we begin to look at the numbers and the metrics and how well the industry was doing and, you know, begin underwriting and, and taking apart these deals and looking at it. And, uh, you know, there's nothing sexier than cash flow. So I just had to get over myself and um, we made the switch. But I think that's part of the reason, mm -hmm. at least that it was for me. For the rest of the folks out there, I, I can't really say, um, you know, yeah, why yeah. people would stay in it. But that's why we have so many people from multifamily coming into our industry. How about cap rates? Are the cap rates similar? When they you... are. Ours, ours lag behind just a little bit, meaning, you know, when cap rates begin to get uh, higher in a multifamily affected by interest rates, you know, ours lag behind a few more months just because the business model actually does better during a recession. And so, you know, we still got a lot of uh, interest in self-storage, people wanting to buy our facilities and uh, the sellers that are able to get uh, command higher prices, even as we head into a downturn because they know it does so well. And how do you determine when you sell a, a self-storage facility? Like when, when do you know when to hold, yeah. and, you know? Ours are driven mostly by the fact that we raise private equity. So uh, most of our deals are done with private equity partners. And in order to get the internal rate of return, that is time sensitive. You know, we have a fund or a syndication that lasts four or five years. And that's usually about the amount of time it takes for us to either turn around a facility or a portfolio or to build one from the ground up or a conversion of a, an old industrial building to storage and then fill it up and uh, maximize and optimize the revenue coming in and lowering the expenses. So once we're at that four or five year mark, then uh, you know the time value of money starts to go down, the returns for our investors. So that's the time that we're exiting. Gotcha. And, and um, the builds are easier than a house, like multifamily. <laughs> You're just, you it know, really is. So, it's um, so much easier. I don't um, want to say it's about, cookie cutter, but uh, it, it is and it's faster. Yeah, yeah. What about this? I've heard some people talking about condition space in, in old malls and shopping centers. Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. you seeing that conversions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. You know, so we've uh, we've done a number of these conversions of uh, anchor stores, you know, in like an outlet mall, um, you know, with that has a uh, different uh, tenants, uh, you know, uh, in a strip center, if you will. Sometimes we can separate and buy that building or sometimes we buy the whole thing. And now we have seen that in uh, malls as well. I mean, you know, re retail is just getting pounded. You know, it, it did by COVID. It does uh, every time we head into a recession and, and Amazon continues to bite into it. And so, you know, it's struggling. And there's a whole lot of uh, these old, uh, you know, big box stores and their buildings and malls that are, have vacant space. And so, yeah, if we can either lease it, you know, and then sublease it and, and or buy that building or buy that space, 
um, it's perfect, uh, you know, because there's, there's no better use for it because there's no other intended use. And so it typically goes for a fire sale. And as long as we start low and we're in a great location, which, you know, malls are always very well located, situated, usually around multifamily, which is a big user of storage. Um, yeah, it's a win-win scenario for us. Yeah, I love it. All right. So somebody just getting started right now thinking about, mm-hmm. man, I'd love to get started in this. Yeah. And they don't have a whole lot of cash. Mm-hmm. What's the best way for them to start? like getting involved with this. Yeah. A couple of ways. Uh, well, first of all, whether you have cash or not, I think it's always good to get a, a mentor and or a partner. Somebody that's been in the business for a little while. You don't know what you don't know. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. And in commercial real estate, they're costly mistakes. And so um, find somebody to partner with, um, to learn from, to mentor from in the beginning. And uh, also you could you could get into it on the passive side. If you get a small amount of money, you can be a passive investor in self-storage. You can learn what it's like to be able to be a part of a facility from that syndicator, from that promoter. You know, you get ownership. Um, you're an equity partner and you get to take the depreciation and um, write off a number of the expenses and get the income and um, sponsors like us, indicators like us, we hold webinars and we keep our folks uh, invested in the deal and we show them exactly what we're doing. We communicate that to that, that to them and we're teaching them, you know, they earn while they learn. And so then, you know, after a few years, either after they exit that one or even before, if they want to go do it on their own, well, then they can head into the bank and they can head into a, a private equity um, party or go to their list of folks that uh, that may want to invest with them with that experience and hold their head up high and say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the storage business. You know, here's our deal over here and here's what we've done. And then uh, and then be able to acquire loans and uh, ask for the private equity to go out and, uh, and do partnerships and be able to do it on their own. So those are probably the two best ways to get in is to uh, partner, joint venture with somebody or, or start on the passive side and then move over to the active side. And part of that is getting into communities like yours just to mm-hmm. meet people and network, yeah. right? Yeah. And you start being around mm-hmm. these people, you're going to start absorbing information, you're mm-hmm. going to start building relationships, and then an opportunity is going to pop in front of you. That's yeah. how it happens, right? 100%. I mean, your your network is your net worth, and it's not just a cliche. I mean, that's played out in my life, and and I think it is your in yours as well, Mike, the community that you're building. I mean, we as we just talked about before we get online, I mean, that's that, that's where it's at. And, uh, you know, the same for us, our, our tribe, our community is just incredible. And, and the interesting thing, and, and I'd say not every industry, but at least ours, is that everybody's willing to share 99 to 95% of everything that they know, because we don't really bump into each other in the marketplace. And, you know, our trade area is like a three to five mile radius that we want to dominate, you know, against our competitors. Outside of that, you know, there's only 5% that's our secret sauce. All the rest of it is just, you know, good business practices or or not if you're not doing it the right way. So uh, there's a lot of sharing. There's a, a lot of uh, give and take. There's a lot of back and forth. And our competitors are usually all friendly competitors in the market. We're all working together. So yeah, uh, yeah. from that standpoint, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to get in and uh, get the knowledge that you need. And people can also take their retirement IRAs, 401ks, and convert mm-hmm. them into self-managed, mm-hmm. right? And then put them mm-hmm. into self-storage, just like multifamily, right? Absolutely. That's a, that's the yeah. bulk of the folks that we work with is um, they're accredited investors that they've got self-directed IRA funds that they're using uh, either for cash flow or for retirement purposes. And uh, yeah, they have an opportunity to be able to invest with us as well. Yeah. I love it. All right. So a couple questions here on this. Yeah. Uh, I need a, I need a most challenging time you've had in investing, whether it's self-storage mm-hmm. or the multifamily space, mm-hmm. real estate space, whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what, what sticks out? The first thing that came to mind when I said the most challenging time you've had. Oh man, that's pretty easy. <laughs> You know, so that was uh, after the dot-com crash that I just uh, mentioned. Uh, that was a tough time when we were in houses and apartments because at that time, then the administration, the president that was in power, uh, instituted the Community Reinvestment Act, uh, which is basically, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. And that was uh, anybody that walked into a bank and uh, if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. And that was uh, by design. And so um, as we all saw in the big short and as we all you know lived out in the Great Recession, you know, all those loans that were made during that time that really shouldn't have been made to folks that had no business having a, a loan. Well, we saw what happened in 2007. So during that time, however, in 1999, 2000, um, that's when all of my, my tenants, you know, my 450 some tenants, you know, they were all able to buy a house, you know, not all of them, but most of them. And, you know, this is the first time in, 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 in their lives that they were able to be able to buy a house. And, um, so who could blame them? You know, they were buying houses and, um, they were moving out of our houses, our, our single family and our apartments. So we struggled financially in our apartments. We had to, not only had we rehab these houses to rent, but that's a different rehab than it is to be able to get the top of the market appraisal to sell. So we had to re-rehab all these uh, again, all the while all of our tenants were leaving and all that cash flow was going down. And so, you know, we, we stared into the abyss. Um, we went right up to the edge of bankruptcy and we thought we were going to be able to lose it all. And uh, we, we fought that fight for about three years where literally, Mike, I thought uh, every 30 days, um, there was there was too much a month left at the end of the money and I thought we were going under, but... Um, <clears throat> by the grace of God or just by a sale, by luck, whatever, we continued on. And then um, finally, it, it was when I stopped, I, I think, trying to work so hard and so smart that I just kind of took a step back and I was just like, all right, we're going to take a, a different approach to this. And that is, um, I'm not going to sacrifice my health anymore. I'm not going to sacrifice all of my um, retirement funds to save this thing. And I'm not going to sacrifice any more time away from my family. And I'm, I'm going to go in and I'm going to hit it hard and do the right things. Um, but we're going to let the chips fall where they may because, um, you know, this is just not sustainable any longer. And it was at that time when I gave up the, the control that I felt like I needed to have and uh, surrender, step aside, right? get out of my way. And I surrendered it all. Literally, Mike, I was going down the highway. I know exactly where I was um, uh, on I-465 out here in Indianapolis. And I lifted my hands off the steering wheel and I was just like, that's it. God, if I, if I lose it all and I have to go live in the basement of my mother-in-law's house. Um, at least I got my family, my kids, and I'll have my health and everything else back. And it was it was at that time when the insurance check came back and we sold more houses and it, it just began to turn around. And uh, it was at that time when uh, I, I really began to focus on the things that were most important instead of uh, uh, just assuming that I could do it all on my own or, or that I had built it all on my own to begin with. Um, it was that surrender uh, when things began to turn around again and then the business took off. And, and it was right yeah. at that time then we decided we went on a mission trip and um, really saw that, you know what, <laughs> you can have joy without anything. You know, we saw these kids that had nothing and we saw these families that had uh, nothing. They were living in a house that was made out of pallets and tarps. And the kids, uh, their only toy was a, a plastic bottle top with a, a nail in it used as a top. And uh, my kids and, uh, and my wife and I saw uh, the joy that they, uh, the, these families had still and to be able to provide a house and to give that to them and to impact their lives. Well, then, um, that gave us a whole new perspective and a whole new, um, way of going about things. So, Damn, that's yeah, good. that's good. You know, surrendering is such a great exercise, man. Isn't it? I did. I did that recently. I felt like I was grinding <clears throat> just recently. I know mm -hmm. better, but I was grinding, grinding, grinding mm -hmm. and, uh, loaded my calendar up. It's packed. I don't want to have any white space in there. Let's pack mm -hmm. it up. Mm -hmm. And then I started separating some space and just saying, you know what? I don't, I, I need quality over quantity yeah. and I'm just going to relax and, and just surrender and let, <clears throat> like, you know, and all of a sudden money just starts flowing in. It's a, it, it's a great exercise to practice. So mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Um, what mm -hmm. was the occupancy rate that, it, that it would, you went to with your portfolio at that time when it happened? You remember how low it went? 
Yeah, we were um we stayed at 60 for a little while and then when we started dipping below 50 to 40 is when the alarm started going off and we got real yeah. scared and so we hovered right around that mark and you know we were just, you know, rehabbing and selling the houses, rehabbing and selling and then selling the apartments off uh, the best that we could. And uh you know the, the 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 good news was that the financing was there. So once we finally were able to get, you know, a house rehabbed, it, it sold. And once we were able to yeah. get uh, the apartments in the place where they were in decent shape, yeah, we were able to sell those as well and uh yeah, we uh, we worked our way out of it. And, and the thing is, is that any, anybody in entrepreneurship has gone through this, uh, selling off assets and your net worth dipping so that you can go farther later on. It takes mm -hmm. a hit to the ego too, but you got to, sometimes you got to pull yeah. back to go farther, right? It's a pride issue. It's a pride issue. And I fought that forever because, uh, you know, I think we wear our portfolio sometimes as a badge of honor. And, uh, but if it's weighing you down, <laughs> it's pulling you under, um, it's time to let it go so that you can, uh, you know, climb your way, swim your way back up to the top again. But it's a, it's a hard thing to do. I think, uh, especially for guys and we're just kind of wired differently. But if we think about this, right, if we go to the end of our, our vision, right. And mm -hmm. we think, okay, here's the vision. This is my ego's tied to that part, yeah, mm -hmm. not to the part that's happening right now. And in order mm -hmm. to get to there, I got to pull back. Then we understand better. I just mm -hmm. put something on Instagram. I keep saying this over and over again because I'm so intrigued by this. But I just, I just figured this: that perspective mm -hmm. is more powerful than intelligence. Oh yeah. Well, it goes back you know? to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. I mean, you, you can see a lot. I, I see a lot further down the road. I've been through three recessions now. I don't get worked up about the chaos that's coming and the things that are happening, even though I get a little anxious about it. You know, then all of a sudden I can pretty quickly, you know, remember I can't control all of this. I know what to do. I know what levers to pull. I know what, to, what needs to happen. And I'm not going to get all freaked out and make drastic moves like I did the last time. You know, we're good. Yeah. We got this. And I know what that looks like. And, you know, there's a there's an old saying that. Um, you would never, as, as an investor, you, you would never passively invest with an active investor with a syndicator. Um, I would never follow a general into battle who didn't walk with a limp. And, and so now, you know, I, I find that, you know, I'm, I'm that general that walks with a limp, but that's all right. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got yeah. that. And, and, and now we wear the, the, the scar tissue more as a badge and just, uh, re, you know, remember, Hey, we're going to get through this one too. And just lean on all the lessons that we learned in the past. 100% man. All right. Best story from the storage unit business, funny, whatever, gross, whatever. What's the one that comes to mind? Oh, golly. You know, there's a, there's, you know, every once in a while, you, you, there's people like to, Mike, when, when, whenever I say I'm in the storage business, you know, they, they, they see the shows or they, you know, read the news, you know, what about dead bodies and meth labs? And it's, you know, that, that's the 1% out there. Yeah, Knock yeah. on wood. We've never had dead bodies or meth labs. Um, but you know, we do auction uh, units off from time to time. And, uh, there was a, there was one unit that, um, uh, the, the person that never showed up for, uh, but the partner did, and, uh, they were the only one that came to show up for that unit. And, um, and they uh, did not state, you know, what was in, uh, in that unit. Um, but they basically had guards come and take, uh, the contents of that unit out, uh, after they won the auction and they would not allow us to look at what was in that, uh, that unit. Um, we got a couple hints and a couple of glimpses of a, what looked like um, a, a vast amount of, uh, let's just say, um, jewels and uh, shiny things um, that came out of there. And we still, because we don't know exactly what was in that unit, um, uh, had it gone back to um, to us or to the facility, I think um, we all would have been a little bit uh, pleased with that. But uh, that was one that Damn. still has us uh, uh, wondering. Um, and inside the industry, I don't know. I, I can't really point to the anomalies so much. Um, you know, there's some folks remember, that have made... Do you remember what hmm? that went for? Like, was it a lot of money that they bid for that? They were the only ones bidding, so they only uh, paid what was owed on the unit, which was like about oh, okay. 100, 190 bucks or something like that. Oh, damn. Yeah. You know who I hung out with one time? You remember hmm. Dave from uh, 
Storage Wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The guy to go, yup. That guy, mm-hmm. yeah, I hung out with him in mm-hmm. California one time. Yeah. He's a good dude. Good dude. He's got some stories. Oh, they all got some stories. And, uh, um, yeah. yeah. So those, you know, those are the one offs. I, I, I don't know. I think the bigger stories are the ones that I, I like are the guys that, um, you know what, they, they go out and create a, a huge portfolio out of nothing and then sell it, you know, to the big guys and then they do it all over again. You know, I, mm-hmm. I got a couple of guys in the industry that did just that and, uh, took them four or five years and they, they created a portfolio out of nothing and they sold it for 630 million to the big guys. You know, so those are the ones that, you know, the folks that are playing, you know, even though five to seven years isn't the long game, but, you know, those those are the stories that I think are, are great because, that, you know, those are the folks that are grinding and doing things uh, the right way in the smart way for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. Love yeah. It. I, I well, don't have anything final, else to, to, to share with you, Mike, that's uh, that's too earth shattering. Well, fi- as we wind down, man, I appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. what you did. Um, uh, podcasting as we wind down. Yeah. Man, I want to I ask you about podcasting. Number one, mm-hmm. I, I assume you go on shows regularly as a guest. Oh, yeah. Or, OK, mm-hmm. so that part and having your own show. Yeah. What has it done for you and your business, and and how's your perspective changed from when you first started podcasting till till what you look at it and view it now? <clears throat> you know, in the beginning, I didn't. I, I just knew that we had to have it um, because everybody else had it, and and I didn't really know why, other than um, you know all the other podcasters and gurus said you did. <laughs> we knew that you know it got an exposure, and as an influencer, you know we we have an education business and and we have a private equity business, and so people needed to see and you know and hear from us. Um, and so in the beginning, we just knew this was, uh, this was one other touch point for folks, just like the other social media, uh, outlets and resources. But then the more that we got to do it, this has now become, call it my favorite medium or probably one of the, my favorite things to, to be able to do because, you know, the folks that want to do business with us, you know, the quickest way for people to get to know, like, and trust you is to begin to follow you on your own podcast. Uh, but more importantly, uh, others, because, you get to sit there and ask me questions that I don't know what's coming and I, and I get to answer them flat footed. And you know what? Your guests get to see how I answer those, those questions flat footed. And, uh, it very quickly, you know, uh, it, it shortens the time frame in which somebody can uh, know, like, and trust you to begin to do yes. business with me in my, in, you know, no matter what I'm doing out there for joint ventures, private equity partners, you know, students that want to come learn about the business or, Anybody that wants to come on a mission trip uh, with us as well, then, you know, they already know a little bit about what I'm made of because I'm on your podcast answering your questions. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate it, Scott. I'm My pleasure. Doing some things with you, collabing. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing that. Um, hang tight after the show here. Uh, but Let's I want to thank it. you. And I th- thank you all for listening or watching or however you're consuming this content. It's your boy C-Rock live here. You're listening on a replay. But live, I'm live. From that one studios on the What Are You Made Of show, it's your boy C-Rock. Until next time, be that one.